Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Not Another Mummy Podcast. I'm Alison Perry and you're listening to episode 31. Today, my guest on the podcast is Anya Hayes, author of The Supermum Myth and Mum of Two. Anya is a great person to follow on social media, where she talks lots about mental health and maternal well-being. Her book guides us through motherhood without aiming for an unrealistic goal, and it's packed with advice on handling guilt, anxiety and comparison. And it's got loads of exercises in it from clinical psychologist Dr. Rachel Andrew, which help you retrain your thinking about motherhood. So it was really great to chat to Anya about all the themes in her book. Uh, She's got some really interesting things to say about mum guilt, when we should listen to it and when we should ignore it, and also ways to tackle those feelings of anxiety. So hopefully you'll feel much happier about the way that you're being a mum by the end of this episode. So I'm here with Anya. Welcome. Hello. Uh, So you're a mum of two, a parenting author and a Pilates teacher. Yes. Um, You actually sound a bit like a super mum yourself (laughs) when you put it like that. Not at all. No, I'm the opposite of a super mum. You know, I have those those days where I just think if I if I bumped into any of my Instagram followers right now they would be like oh that's an interesting uh, illustration of what not to how not to be a super mom. that's yeah. the thing about Instagram and, and yeah. social media though isn't it <laughs> I think that probably has a big, big part to play in the whole super mom myth yeah. is that you're only putting a very small part of your life out there yeah and it's so true and even I mean my and even if you're not particularly presenting perfect life I think it's still you don't really want anyone to catch you when you're shouting at your toddler for lying on the floor in the supermarket or not yeah. being able to deal with a sort of grump about snacks. Yeah, I, I do. Like, I think maybe like three or four times, I've had somebody come up to me and like on the street and they recognise me from my blog or whatever. And um, so I'm kind of aware. I mean, this literally really happened like three or four times. Yeah. Um, but sometimes if I am having like on Saturday went out with my little girl and she was just in a real grump and she was refusing to do anything and it yeah. was just like this is no fun. <laughs> and I was thinking if anyone sees us, they'll just think that like my whole like my whole life is a lie because I'm this miserable grumpy yeah. person. Although I love that picture of Kate Middleton when she's talking to one of her children, yes. and like in front of millions of people <laughs> in the world. She's like, don't have a tantrum now. We can't. 
Yeah. It's interesting, actually, you mentioned Kate Middleton, because this week, as we're recording, this week, she's just had her new baby. She has. Um, as yet unnamed. What, oh, yeah. what, what, what's your bet? What's your... Uh... Well, I'm going with um, one of my friends, the Doctor Mummy, on Instagram. She thinks he's going to be called Barry. Barry. <laughs> Prince Barry. <laughs> Wouldn't so... that be amazing? <laughs> we're going to go with Baza. Oh, or something, so, or, you know, yeah. Barry or Gary yeah. or... Bob. Yeah. Has um, there been a Bob in the, in the royal family? I don't know. Uh, yeah, something really kind of Trevor, maybe Prince Trevor. That'd be amazing. My little girl, because I'm um, currently um, 11 weeks pregnant, my little girl, if it's a boy, wants to call him Darren, oh. which I thought was cool. There aren't enough Darrens anymore. <laughs> I think we need to bring back the 80s names. Exactly, Kevin. <laughs> Michelle. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. Um, but yeah, no, she's been, there's been a lot of debate this week, hasn't there, about the whole... Her coming out onto the steps, wearing her beautiful red dress. Um, Is it uh, giving a bad... Is it kind of, you know, giving an unrealistic idea of what you are like seven seven hours after giving birth? Um, What's what's your take on all that? I feel... I think it's such a complex issue because if if it had been six years ago, I would have still been in the throes of sort of birth trauma, feeling things like this were a real trigger for me. So I felt like I didn't really do birth very well. I thought I was sort of, I did a bit, had a crash cesarean, ended up not even, you know, eight hours after I'd given birth, I hadn't even held my baby because we were both too sick. So for me, seeing that image would have just been, would have felt like a smack in the face. Mm. Whereas and now it's sort of with the sort of benefit of distance of time and sort of being able to process a few things and understand my birth trauma and what happened a bit more, I can look at it slightly more objectively and think, that is amazing that she can have such a brilliant experience. Clearly, you know, obviously <laughs> being wheeled out and kind of, she looked like she was going to a wedding rather than yeah. just had a baby. She looked better than incredible. I, yeah, I think she looked better than I looked on my wedding yeah. day. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing. And, you know, but she's, we all know, hopefully we all know the background. She's got a hairdresser there. She's got, you know, I mean, I feel a bit sorry for her that she has to be the, in front of the eyes of the world six hours after having a baby. But it is... There's something really wonderful about the fact that you can celebrate that birth can be like that. Yeah. And I think the trouble is the backlash has been, oh, she's not showing a realistic view of birth, but that is her normal. That's you her know, reality. That, yeah, so she obviously, you know, amazing. She's been able to give birth swiftly and in adverted commas easily three times. Um, that's not a lot of women's experience. And I think the, the trouble is it is such a you know birth is such a trigger for emotions and anxiety and guilt and failure feelings and that's why it's been such a you know there's been such a kind of fury on on social media about it and in the news so I just think she's amazing wonderful good on her I hope she's in her pjs and on the sofa I think she is Um, and also in a way you know it's no bad thing because it has you know, triggered a load of other people sharing their pictures yeah. and stories and saying, well, this is what it was like for me. Exactly. So it has prompted a conversation. Definitely. And so even if you did look at that photograph and feel bad, then the resulting conversation would hopefully then yeah. make you feel reassured. And hopefully offer some kind of community for your experience as well. So I think that's the problem. It's sort of whenever we see an image that we think is perfect and then we then judge ourselves having not reached that massive gold standard ideal... Um, if you feel then quite lonely in that experience, then that makes it even worse. But mm. hopefully now there's more, you know, support net- networks and scaffolding around the fact that if you haven't had that experience, then here's where you can go for support. Here's where you can find ways through, which I think, you know, six years ago, 
wasn't the case. So if I'd seen a picture of, the, of her coming out, I would have been like, that wasn't my experience. Yeah. You know, and yeah. it is, it's just so emotive, giving birth, oh, you know. Everyone has a different experience. Yeah. And also, to be fair to Kate, she hasn't had a bed of roses pregnancy. Each time oh, she it. had, no, is it hyperemis? No. Oh, how do you pronounce that? Gravidarum. Hyperemis gravidarium. Yeah. I don't know. Um, One of the things yeah, you see written down a lot. Yeah. Why do we hear people saying it? <laughs> I just say Really bad morning sickness. Yeah. And even that, like, we sort of go, oh, morning sickness, as if it sort of belittle it, when actually, when you're being sick 24-7, oh. all the way through your pregnancy, I mean, the, the imp- impact on your mental health. I just, God, you know, that look on her face is probably like, yes, I'm hopefully not going to be feeling sick anymore. Yeah, that's know? probably, I mean, she probably felt yeah. like I will do anything, you know, on that day. <laughs> that's why she got the baby out so quickly. Yeah, just... right. So tell me about yes. the Superman myth. It's a book, but what is the myth? What is the myth? I think, personally, that the myth is based around the fact that women can be all things to all people. We've somehow <clears throat> sort of reached this expectation of ourselves more than anything else, but I think sort of, let's say it's a daily mail kind of expectation where we can be the mums that are mums generation we're able to be sort of there all the time or you know picking up from school doing the school run but also career women and acing your career and going forward sort of full pelt achieve high achieving but also have a wonderful relationship and have a perfect home and have all the friendship and Every sort of aspect of your life has to be a kind of tick box of, yep, done that, sorted. And if you haven't got every tick box ticked, you feel like you've somehow underdone yourself or you haven't achieved what you should have done. And actually, that's bonkers, isn't it? It's sort of like, why would we, you know, to be able to be 100% brilliant at every single aspect of your life is not a realistic yeah, um, that's totally bonkers. But what you've just described is exactly me. <laughs> I want, I want to be brilliant at all of those things. Yeah. I'm constantly feeling like a bit of a failure the because is, I'm not. Well, I think you know, and I think the, the 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 aiming for high achievement is not a bad thing. You know, the fact that we, especially as women now, we feel like we can shoot for the stars, is can only be a good thing. I think it's the fact that we no longer have an, an appreciative eye on what we are doing instead we're always looking at what we're not quite achieving yes so instead of sort of you know you're probably thinking I've got a sort of top podcast and I'm um, very sort of a high achieving blogger and I'm Instagram fame but I, ne- I, 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 I never thinking, think that yeah, exactly you're always <laughs> thinking about the stuff that you're not doing on top of that so you're worrying about you know why you haven't got certain guests or why you haven't got a certain sort of commission and it's we need to stop looking at those what have I not got and actually I I think it's a cultural thing partly we're quite uncomfortable as British people sort of looking at our achievements in any kind of um you know it looks smug or arrogant or American sort of thing like high-fiving ourselves but I think we've gone so far down the route of looking at where we're falling what holes we're falling into that we're no longer no longer at all able to just sort of give ourselves a pat on the back it's really hard but then do you think that as a society we need to be better at seeing other people doing well and not thinking that they're being smug and actually being that person who's like well done that's so good and I so much of that is the whole compare and despair issue which is a huge issue that you you every and Instagram excels in this I love Instagram but when you're looking and even people that you wholeheartedly love and adore your your internal reaction may well be why is that not why is that not me why did I not why wasn't I, I'm just as good, aren't I? Why can I not do that? And it's sort of being able to fully embrace and be like happy for someone and not have it as a sort of, 
you know, punch in the gut for you, thinking, mm. oh, I can't do that now, when actually there is space for everyone to be doing their own thing. And actually just because someone is achieving something that you feel is, you know, what the gold standard is, A, doesn't mean they feel that that is what they're doing. They probably don't think that they're doing as well as you do. But B, similarly, they might be looking at you and seeing qualities that you're not seeing in yourself. So I think we're so... We're so hung up on comparison, mm. but we don't ever compare to ourselves. We don't ever kind of take a log of, actually, this is what I'm doing. And on paper, that's quite good. Yeah. Look at all the stuff that I'm doing. And there was one really interesting bit, actually, I think quite early on in the book, where you say sometimes you are the super mum. Other people are looking at you. that You might be, you know, at the school gate. Everything's gone fine that morning. Yeah. Um, your, you know, child kisses you as they skip <laughs> off into yeah. the class. And people are looking at you thinking, oh my goodness, she's got it together. I know. And you're not aware of that moment at all. No. And the thing is, what I love now about starting to be aware of those moments is that you can, you know when you have those days where everything goes wrong and it just makes you feel, you're just like, oh, I'm just the worst. My kids have watched 17 hours of TV and they've only (laughs) eaten fish fingers. Yeah. um, And you sort of, do you focus on the bad? On the days where... Hang on, is that bad? Well, you (laughs) know... And when you feel bad, That's normal. when you feel bad about your, you know, your yeah. achievements, if you haven't done all the crafty type things, but then on the day when, you know, your toddler does have a long nap or, you know, and you're able to kind of just have a cup of tea in peace, you don't think, wow, this is amazing. I'm doing so well. You just think you pause and just yeah. don't kind of think anything positive at all. And I think it's being able to go reframe what you think a super mum is. And for me, a super mum is someone who goes... That was actually really good. Wow, he not napped for two hours. That's amazing. You know, like yeah. celebrating those little, however small, yeah, <laughs> celebrating those achievements, and just giving yourself a bit of a pat on the back occasionally. So yeah. I guess as much as the supermum doesn't actually exist, she does in that we all have supermum moments, like little yeah, moments, pockets of supermum. Yeah. So I think it's probably quite important to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think, and I think that's it. It's it's. Re, I guess it's just simply redefining what you think a supermum is. So that if you feel like supermum is perfect every aspect of her life, and by that perfection means always well dressed, you know, has perfect hair, always has a manicure, her children are well behaved, <laughs> they always, you know, look perfect. They don't ever kind of um, have mud all over their clothes or paint up the back of their coat or that kind of thing. Or my toddler always has slightly matted hair at the moment, which is always like, hmm. Um, But, you know, reframing and actually thinking every every mum has something that they're probably sort of, they don't want to expose, they don't want to lift the curtain on. And it's realising that you're judging everyone on that final performance, whereas actually everyone has it behind the scenes and and not to kind of judge your behind the scenes with someone else's this is me, this is... It's like like it's their showreel, isn't it? Yeah, and even not a conscious one, you know, it doesn't Mm. have to be that someone is... It's just that you're judging it on your interpretation of that that woman's perfect supermom life. And it's sort of... I just think, yeah, I mean, there are days where, you know, when when you do have that... When you do do a bit of work and and you still manage to spend a little time in the park... You know, like yesterday, I went to the park with my three-year-old and I... I mean, this is really low baseline, <laughs> baseline um, super mumdom. But I made a promise to myself I wasn't going to take out my phone all day. Um, and so he was at preschool in the morning. And then I picked him up, went to the playground, then went afterwards to pick Morris up. And I, it didn't, it felt like such an achievement for mm. me that I hadn't actually even looked at my phone to check emails or, you know, and being self-employed, it's quite, it's a knee-jerk trigger. You always, oh, I must check when I've got yeah, a message. Yeah, of course. And so when I got home, I, I decided to just think, well, that was a really good day. I'm, I've actually 
done really well today. I That's so nice. And and that for me was a super mum achievement. Yeah. <laughs> because like you know, um, I would have felt bad about myself had I taken out my phone in the park. And it's all about learning those things that make you feel bad about yourself and working out. Okay, well, why do I need to feel bad? Why can't I just sort of you know sidestep the bad feeling, work out if I can change something and feel good about it, or yeah, you're in just, control. You know, yeah. It's funny you say that because I did that once. Once I did that, I left my phone at home um, a few months ago. I, I was just—I think for me it was more that I just felt like I was having quite a lot of negative feelings whenever I went onto social media. Yeah. And I thought, do you know what? I'm just gonna. We were going out to a national trust, and I was like, I'm gonna leave my phone at home. Don't need it. It was a Saturday, so there was no work emails coming in. Left it at home, and um, then later on that evening. I got a DM on Instagram from someone saying, oh, I saw you in the National Trust cafe um, and I really noticed that you weren't on your phone when your oh, husband really? and daughter went to get food. Um, and it really inspired me and it really made me think that I'm just constantly taking my phone out. Yeah. And it was lovely, but also I felt like a bit of a fraud. So I felt like <laughs> normally I would have been like, well, whipping my phone out and checking Instagram and looking yeah. at Facebook. Yeah. But and I think that's the thing though, because I think increasingly I've been noticing mums and it is it tends to be mums you know just that I have seen I'm not saying dads uh, don't do it um with their kids in the park and they are just sort of on their phone and and I realized I was like oh that doesn't if I was the kid I'd be a little bit conscious that my mum was just like yeah. looking at a screen and not at me and so that's that's always made me a bit uncomfortable that actually I don't want Freddie particularly Freddie because I, I sort of spend more time during the day with him he's my three-year-old I don't want him to always feel like I've got something in the palm of my hand which yes. is blocking my eye contact with him you know that's more important than him yeah and also it's um, like a, I, I don't want my daughter to see, think that that's just normal yeah that as she grows up she yeah. should always have a device yeah. in her hand yeah because that's not a great habit no. to be teaching and that's the thing sort of our generation I guess the last generation where it isn't normal well mm. you know like we you know we remember when mobile phones came, you know, like, <laughs> I don't I'm, I'm, I'm obviously much younger than you <laughs> well you are but no. you know that kind of feeling of like having to make an arrangement with someone and then stick to it forever like yeah you know, that, that just doesn't exist anymore but it is that sort of literally having something glued to the palm of your hand we know you know we didn't have that when we were teenagers and now teenagers really do have that everywhere and it's I think that's what I wanted to sort of celebrate for myself because I just realized that that was me you know yeah. I realized that Freddie was always like once you know he went up to grab my hand and I was holding my phone in my hand I was like oh that's really rubbish. <laughs> you know, so I put my phone in my pocket and yeah so that's a big super mum fall down for me at the moment that's yeah. my kind of it's trying to to what I found about the Superman myth is that feeling of not of being really lonely. When I was when I was writing, I was drawing from um, my own experience of first time around, particularly when I felt really kind of isolated. And I think social media has really tapped into that isolation and created a community in a wonderful way. But at the same time, that side of things you realise isn't real and human interaction. Yeah. So it's kind of, you have to be able to kind of notice when you're relying on it rather than relying on creating actual human interaction yeah it's definitely a double-edged sword yeah. isn't it um so why do you think that the superman myth even exists why do you think so many of us are trying to do it all be it all comparing ourselves to everyone else it's a really it's a really tr i think it's a really complex issue about kind of our generation feminism um you know we're we're out of we're coming out of the kind of all the opportunities that feminism brought for us in the 70s and continues, you know, we still need to strive for equality. But the trouble is we are striving for equality in 
and sort of parity in the workplace, but we're still holding on to kind of women's stuff, women, the women's domain at home, generally speaking. I mean, yeah. I know it's changing changing in a lot of households, but certainly not in lo- a lot of households as well. So there is everyday sexism still, you know, sexism is still a massive um, thing in the world. And I think the trouble is, we're just, therefore, there's two opposing um, things at play. We need to be this kind of high-achieving but also high achieving as a mother, perfect mother. I'm doing everything for my child. I'm looking after their emotional development. I'm also looking after their crafting needs by making stuff out of, you know, toilet rolls and old pieces of wood. (laughs) I've just never been able to do the crafty thing. No, me neither. Um, And and I'm also, you know, being able to, in those same 24 hours in the day, being able to be a very successful career person and look after my home in the perfect way that I wanted to be looked after we're not kind of relinquishing the control of the home aspect of it it's crazy isn't it and even I watched an advert on the tv the other day which is a really really patronizing advert towards dads where this woman was following her husband around going oh well what an idiot because he kept spilling stuff or not being able to open things in the fridge and just making out this man to be a complete dunce and I was like this is not helping anyone. Like, you know, we're trying to say that, yeah, we want equality and yet we're still treating men as if they can't or shouldn't be able to deal with doing housework. Yeah. And it's like, until there is there's some kind of acknowledgement that women don't necessarily do it the best way, in inverted commas, then maybe there's a way that we need to... I mean, an example of this, an example of that is um, things like, you know, when shared, shared parental leave and stuff... I can't think of a single mum who hasn't um, talked about their husband looking after the children without some element of, oh, God, he's going to forget the wipes. Yeah. I know he's going to do that. He won't pack the bag properly, and I know it won't be perfect. And it's like, well, what's, you know, you need to be able to let go of that control and that definition of perfect. Otherwise, you're just clinging on to, you're holding on to all these plates, let alone spinning them. You're just clinging on to them, and they're just going to clatter onto the floor. Um, so that's it. I think the super mum thing has just come up, come in this sort of, we hold on to the mum's jobs type thing. Um, we're not willing to let those go. And yet we also need to still be the best in the other side of our, the sides of our life. How do we sort this though? Because like, this is something that I, I think about all the time. Because in my in my household, we try and do things 50-50. Yeah. Um, I definitely do a lot of the mum jobs, yeah. but then I work from home, so it makes sense for me to do it yeah. that way. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder, like, what it's almost like what order, like, what, what are the catalysts that need to happen? Is it that, that, that as women, we need to just relinquish that control first, or do we need the men to, to step up it. and take it? Yeah. And, and, and do we, you know, do we need to put pressure on advertisers or you know tv producers well, that, yeah. or because and um, because was it what's it i've had a mind blank is it motherland the um, yes okay so that obviously really popular really funny bbc comedy BBC show. comedy show but the portrayal of men and husbands in that was really it was funny though but the thing and is it was, i mean I that the trouble be... is that i've spoken to because i know quite a few stay-at-home dads or or you know people who have taken up which is unusual because you know st- being taking up Sharental leave hasn't been you know there hasn't been great uptake yet um and all of them were like 
what are we supposed to do if that's the image it, we're always looked down on in the baby groups they're like oh there's a dad here yeah and it's you're looked on as being not doing as well a, as good as a job yeah and quite frankly apart from breastfeeding and carrying the baby there's nothing that you're that the man cannot do in terms of looking at the logistics of getting your child sorted in the morning to get to school, to pack the lunch, you know, pack lunch, pack the changing bag. And if if they don't do it as well in inverted commas as you think they're going to do it, well, then let them deal with the fallout. Yeah, like, you know, let I them think, make mistakes. Yeah, so if they don't take out the coat for the toddler and you think, oh, God, they've bloody gone out without the coat, well, then they'll have to deal with a really cold toddler and then they'll be the one who might the next time remember. But if you always pack the bag or do everything without them having to do it themselves yeah then you're never you're stifling kind of equality you're stifling learning then for both people I think both parents it's a really tricky one because you know I think that the mother role is an important and beautiful and wonderful nurturing role and to a certain extent we don't want to I think we do want to keep hold of that role of being the one who is the most important member of the the home hub i know quite a few women who have said oh no i wouldn't want to do um, share parental leave because i want to be at home with the baby yeah. and whether it's for breastfeeding reasons or whether it's just because they want that time to bond yeah, yeah. and so and that's the thing it's and then you have to relinquish the idea that and that's where this whole you know flexible working and careers element comes into because it feels like such a a no man's land that you're then going into because for whatever reason, staying at home with your children is not particularly respected. Which is insane <laughs> an because option, you're basically, know. you're basically, you know, having creating, the next creating and know. you know bringing up these children who will yeah. go on to do amazing things. Yeah. What what is more important than exactly. that? Exactly, raising the future, and yet it's really not respected. And so, I think that's the thing. We've, we're in a kind of cul-de-sac at the moment where you're judged whichever way you turn. And so you're always feeling like your choices are under scrutiny. And and if you feel under scrutiny, then you're always going to be looking at the negative sort of side of things. And I think that's where, you know, that's the super mum conundrum, I think, in a nutshell. It's like not being secure in your choices, not trusting your instincts, because we don't even know what our instincts are anymore. <laughs> We've mm. got so many different pulls on them. Um, and it's so I think it comes from the society sort of umbrella of what makes a good mother and of a, you know what is a good mother to be all I want to be is a good mother and it's like well there are so many different definitions of that that you have to make it more bespoke for you and think more about what works for you and your family and if that is that you're going to stay at home and you've previously been a career woman then that has a whole load of emotional you know impact on mental health impact because suddenly you're kind of stepping back into the 50s it feels like because you're yeah. the kind of your now your partner is the breadwinner um, and also it's financially hard, you know, if you both, if you come from two parents who work full time to suddenly having to cobble together a career around your children or, you know, it's just really hard. Yeah. So there's no perfect solution, I don't think. Absolutely. Um, and in the book, you talk about anxiety and guilt as being yes. two big emotions that mum have to deal with. Yes. I think, I feel in my interaction with mums and during pregnancy, anxiety seems to be I mean I think it's on the rise anyway because of technology being so much of a part of our lives but particularly when pregnant because the thing to that I think we really need to remember about anxiety is it's a a normal physiological response to threat to danger so you know thousands and thousands of years ago 
if you were walking along and you heard a rustle in the bushes, that rustle in the bushes probably meant someone something might harm you or eat you. And so you run from that danger. The trouble is now we have exactly the same physiological response to what we perceive as being a threat, um, but the threat is likely to be feeling like you're not popular on social media or feeling like you've got, you know, you've got a work meeting or you have to leave work at five to pick up your child and suddenly your boss says, there's actually, can I reschedule the meeting to 4.30? And those kind of responses, we're always on this heightened fight or flight mode um, for dealing with our everyday life. And I think the trouble is, you know, we haven't learned strategies for dealing with it as a physiological response, so as a body response anxiety. And if we don't notice that actually you need to overturn it in your body, you just live permanently in this wired mode. It's kind of like, I always equate it to, if you look on in a kind of David Attenborough um, um, documentary, at zebras grazing on the grasslands. And you can see they're all fine. And then they suddenly hear, think there might be a lion and they all kind of look up and are twitchy and then they start grazing again. Oh, it's fine. There's no lion. And then they look up and they're really twitchy. And I think as mums, we're constantly that grazing zebra because mm-hmm. we're like, what might, oh, I might have, he might have a meltdown if I don't do that. And oh God, there's no nap today. Oh, I have to rearrange that. And oh, when's World Book Day? And you're kind of seeing all these things that you have to fight fires about as threats mm. to your daily existence. And I think that the one thing that none of us do is breathe deeply and take a moment to just step into rest and digest mode, which is the essential counteracting to fight or flight. Um, But we just don't. We live permanently in fight or flight, which means that we're constantly seeing more danger than there is. Um, And quite often being in that mode can then hinder how you are coping with things. Yes, because, you know, you then start avoiding things that you think are threatening or dangerous, or you just, you know, you, you assume... It's like a kind of self-perpetual negative, si- negative spiral. So, the, you know, the worse you feel, the worse you react to things, or that you know, mm. um, and it's being able to catch that negative spiral and go back in the positive way. And with anxiety, more than anything else, it's your physical response to it that you need to catch first. So, if you start feeling like your prevailing negative or your prevailing internal dialogue is negative or anxious, as in seeking kind of um, threatening things that might happen and that might be you know oh, I've got the 72 emails I need to you know and I don't know if I can do that because I have to pick up my son at 11, th- 11 o'clock all of that kind of thing you can catch and stop by just taking a lovely deep breath in mm. and then releasing a longer exhalation so it sounds so obvious and so simple that people don't do it but we realize that actually this is the most healing and soothing tool that we have and you're breathing anyway it's not like you have to kind of pay extra or you know go somewhere special and just so I say to all of my mums and pregnant people pregnant ladies who are experiencing any kind of anxiety check in with your breath at least once a day because we tend to breathe quite shallowly yeah. right up here in the you know and that shallow breathing is fight or flight so that you can run away from the saber-toothed tiger it's okay. like I need to go and it's not because you're in fight or flight you're not sending circulation to your gut so you might be feeling butterflies in your tummy all the time you might be sort of having constipation or kind of other bowel issues you're not feeling um you're not feeling rested and soothed as soon as you take that lovely deep breath in so literally kind of sending the breath deep into the the lungs you trigger the, the nerve called the vagus nerve which literally it's called the wandering nerve it travels all the way around your body it's kind of like switching the lights off in your house at the end of the, the day because 
it kind of sends a message to them, all of your parts of your body that, oh, okay, now I can rest. I don't need to run away from the saber-toothed mm. tiger. I can actually soothe and soften. And when you're in that place, you make better decisions and you're able to respond a little bit more calmly or with more resilience when your toddler is deciding they don't want to go that direction, they want to go that direction, or, you know, all the things that you're fighting become... They're still there, they haven't gone away, but you have more of an object, objective view of how threatening they are. Mm. Um, and I think that's the problem. We Especially because, you know, as you say, we, we scroll so much as a distraction for those feelings. So if you're feeling a bit an, you know, anxious or antsy, chances are you turn to your phone and you start just kind of feeding your anxiety but without really realising it. So you just think, well, I'm not, I'm not going to actually approach the feelings I'm having in my head instead I'm going to distract them by this lovely device I have but that just it's kind of like pushing a beach ball underwater because it's going to come back up again in other forms it'll come back up in insomnia not being able to sleep you know not well I mean that in itself if you're not sleeping as a mum feeds fight or flight mode and it all comes back to just however awkward or however uncomfortable it feels putting the phone down coming into the space of your body and just going right okay I just need to take a deep breath and then if you do that you just physically feel so much better and it means you know everything seems it's like kind of coming out through choppy seas and everything's a little bit calmer just Mm. being able to have slightly more um of a reflective response as opposed to an emotional charged response yeah it just breaks the charge a little bit that's brilliant planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. So that's anxiety, and then guilt was the other big emotion. Yeah, guilt. I mean, <laughs> guilt, I almost feel like we wear guilt as a badge of honour. A Do little bit. A little bit. I feel like there's so much... Celebration's the wrong word, but so much guilt around. Yeah. <laughs> that you almost feel guilty if you're not feeling guilty. You know, like, I think if you say, oh, I left my toddler... Uh, childcare, and everyone's like, "Oh, does that, how you feel? Is that? Oh, are you feeling a bit?" And it's like, well, "No, I feel great, but oh no, now I feel terrible because yeah. I don't feel guilty. Maybe I should be feeling so, guilty." Yeah, exactly. So I think we look, we seek out guilt in a way, um, and guilt. Okay, so guilt. The again, the origin of guilt. I always sort of um, talk about how emotions are there to as like kind of like an alarm clock, a sort of signal, so that you you look and see what they're trying to tell you. They're messages like telegrams, so you need to read the telegram. And with guilt, it's always sent to you if you're going against um, your core beliefs or you're doing something fundamentally wrong. So you're overturning something that needs to be needs to be um, 
you need to rectify your, your wrongdoing. So you know what true guilt is because you know you need to make amends. Whereas mum guilt seems to be a constant low-level kind of white noise that we just, like, have on all the time. Or, like, having three different radio stations on all the time and you can't think clearly. And it's sort of being able to organise the reality of the situation. So whether it's, for example, if you're feeling guilty because you've left your baby because you have to go back to work and your baby was crying, that is clearly a guilt-inducing, you know, emotional, difficult situation. So in those situations, you need to look and organise the reality of what you're doing and why you're doing it. So look at why you're going to work. Why did you leave your baby? Well, earning money, a bit of space for me to go to the toilet (laughs) on my own. Maybe wear lipstick and earrings and, you know, log all of the things that are positive about the scenario. And then if that makes you feel like you don't need to make amends, then just lose the guilt, you know, just stop just stop allowing yourself to feel that guilty and stop feeding it by because we ruminate quite a lot don't we kind of marinate yeah. <laughs> marinate in our guilt so basically um, if it, if the situation isn't something that you're about to change or that you can change yeah or that actually you don't really want to change yeah you need to stop feeling guilty about exactly it. just okay. switch it off it's like a, a dripping tap just stop it um just stop it just stop it <laughs> I mean it's kind of like you know we wear it's like wearing a big thick winter coat inside and feeling really hot and boiling and not thinking well actually I could just take it off and and I appreciate you know there are you know if you're if you're having so for example when I was writing the Superman myth the only childcare, the only logistically the logistical solution for my childcare was uh, for Freddie to go to a childminder, which was near Morris's school, so I could get two full days a week to write. And f- he just didn't settle. He just didn't like it. And every time we, I dropped him off, we had to go past Morris's school to go to his childminder. So every time we'd go towards the school, and as soon as we went slightly past, he would just start really crying. It was awful. And for six months, he, d- he never, it never let up. He was so, he just wasn't happy. I knew he was safe and cared for and although emotionally it was really traumatic for both of us every single time leaving him I knew that was the only available option so I completely did feel feel guilty because it was a choice of my own to make him go through that but as soon as I finished writing the book I took him out and we moved to a different childcare scenario where he was happier so it was sort of I do feel like you need to act on guilt whenever you can mm. and give yourself the space to realise you can... These these um, decisions we make, particularly about childcare and work, I feel, always seem very finite. They seem quite, you know, once you've made the decision, it's like, oh, I can't go back on that now. Whereas actually giving yourself the space to say, this is a situation, this is how I'm, you know, reacting, responding to this situation now. I can change it. I do have the power to, you know, we, we can move, we can move childminders or we can... It's not easy necessarily, but you can act on that guilt. So I kind of was able to frame that guilt in a kind of, this is necessary for the situation. I need to get this book done. I need to get, you know, there is a deadline. Um, And this is how we're dealing with it at the time. So with guilt, it's so complex. I think we need to sort out the guilt that you're just wearing, like the heavy coat in a warm room, and the guilt which you really do feel like, actually, maybe I do need to reassemble the puzzles here, the pieces of the puzzle. Maybe I do need to see whether I can work more flexibly. Maybe I need to see what other options there are available. And work out, once you've exhausted all those options, what's the positive, what is the good in that situation, and focus on that. And I think we don't do that enough. We just look at the 
you know, the guilty side, just, oh, I feel really guilty. And it's so ubiquitous. We're all kind of, oh, I feel a bit guilty because of, you know, I say it all the time, oh, I just feel a, bit, feel a bit bad because... And actually, we need to choose not to feel bad a little more, I think. Because um, I think, again, it goes along with that mum choosing to be a bit of a martyr. So yeah. whether that's in the home or, you know... you know, And generally, again, generalisation, but childcare decisions generally fall to the mum at the moment. You know, I don't... I don't think I really particularly chatted with Ben, my husband, about which childcare scenario I've ever <laughs> sort of gone with, particularly. I've always been the one who's found the childminder, who's interviewed them or whatever. So it is all, feels like it's all on you, that decision. Whereas actually, if you look at the whole, okay, this is for my family that I'm doing this. This is so that I can work. This is this is why we're doing this. You know, yeah. look at the why. And if, it, if, it's, if you're still feeling like this is a gut feeling, this is not right, then change it change it mm-hmm. and do you think that mum guilt is something that has increased over the years I mean do you think that our mums suffered from it I mean you know I kind of you know I know it's a bit of a stereotype but when you look back on like the 70s and the 80s and you look at how kids were being brought up you know yeah. like kids being taken into p- smoky pubs yeah. just playing um, around on the street just with no one yeah anywhere, anywhere you know um you know the, the kind of e-number laden stuff yeah. we were given to eat yeah. Um, you know, do you think that there was there was guilt then, or do you think that it's something that has increased? I think it's a new thing because we have this sort of construct of, and you know, t- to be fair, some of it is is quite right. We now look more as to how we can parent better, and and it's more child centered in terms of like looking after your child's well being and and kind of physical and emotional needs. But I also think there's that now we're just so much more aware of what we could be doing, and so that also lends itself to guilt about things like whether we're throwing a big enough party for our child's seventh birthday and that yeah. kind of thing, you know, like, and looking at, and social media again, or but just generally, is it, if you if you go to someone's third birthday party, say, and it's a big superhero party where there's cake and there's also Prosecco for the adults and there's, and then you, and all you can think is, oh, blimey, all I did was like some sandwiches and crisps <laughs> and like, you know, and some and cups of tea. Know, yeah. <laughs> and so you kind of just always take things as a judgment on how, bad you've been doing but like we said earlier you know we don't we're not able to kind of take at face value that's what someone else is doing mm. good on them that's brilliant <laughs> we always go oh god I didn't do that yeah. shit. um and I so I do think it's a new thing in that respect it's sort of double it's a double thing where there's more pressure on parents to be amazing and, and do everything but there's also you put more pressure on yourself and we're the worst judges of our own you yeah. know of our, of our own ability we're like oh god I'm really well, it's just like go back to basics and all make a group pact to stop throwing the elaborate birthday parties <laughs> yeah. and you know just keep everything really simple yeah. and then and then and the thing is if that's what you love doing if you love throwing big events that's amazing obviously that but if we're doing it because we need to impress people or somehow you know achieve supermom status because oh you know I stayed up till three in the morning making this superhero's cake or whatever it is that you you know and then on the flip side of that is someone like me. I'm, I'm the least crafty, least bakery person. And I still, and I know that about myself. I've never been mm. particularly crafty or bakey. But I still feel guilty that I, I don't just accept that and go, that's fine. I've never, I'm not very good at cooking yeah. you know, cakes and stuff, baking cakes. Rather than accepting that that's just never going to be something that I do, I always go, oh, maybe I should. Oh, God, I didn't. And it's that you need to work on. I think it's that sort of just stop that internal dialogue our dialogue of I'm not doing enough mm. and just look at what you're doing because there will be things that you're doing 
that other, you know, I mean, I've, I've got friends who are so outdoorsy and they take their kids on like rambles and, you know, <laughs> you know, their kids will be able to like name trees, and identify <laughs> leaves. And I'm not that kind of person. And so yeah. I just think, okay, well, you're doing that. Yeah. yeah. And actually, I can't even think of what the things I'm doing with my child. I'm sure I'm doing <laughs> other things. I'm not crafty. I'm not bakey. I'm not outdoorsy. Um, my child, you know, she's really good at watching telly. <laughs> and loves cafes. It's great. Yeah. Um, my, we've got a brilliant Morris um, calls pubs cafes I don't know why he says like mommy are we going to the cafe and I'm like yeah I'm going to the cafe oh I love this cafe yeah. at least they're not smoking these days <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> So the yeah. thing is, these days, pubs, our local pub that we've got, they've got kids' books there. So every time we go, my daughter goes and gets a copy of um, Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, oh. and she reads the next bit of it. Oh, so lovely. I feel like, oh, this yeah, is this fine. Is educational. <laughs> Even though we're in the pub, she's yeah. reading, yeah. you know, a really brilliant book. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. Genuinely, though, I think you do need to just be able to see the positive, just catch something positive every day. And, and I think that also fosters a general more generally a more kind of brighter I'm not saying unrealistic because I think we you know we live in the real world it's not going to be kind of a Teletubbies land every day but Mm. I think being able to seek the sunshine behind the clouds is is just a really important life skill and I think if you're not able to do that for yourself then you're probably not modeling it for your children and I think that I'm not saying you I think generally in life (laughs) we um and that's one of the things that I think I've really learned being through writing the Superman myth actually I don't think I've fully realized it before that I've always been a slightly cups half empty person when it comes to me I'm much more I've always been a bit of a champion for other people and always been good at kind of bigging other people up um certainly to themselves in a kind of agony aren't way but I'm not never been good at that for myself I've always been really critical but also really envious you know allowing that envy to kind of turn itself on why are you not doing that why can you not be as good as that mm. person and it was only through realising that, um, I think Morris started saying, so second year of school, he's now in year two, and I think last year he started saying things like, oh, I can't, I'm not good at that, or I can't remember what the phrase was he kept on saying, and I thought, wow, that's really interesting, because that's basically exactly what I think about myself. I, I, I think it's that he is showing traits of exactly like me, that he doesn't want to try something unless he's going to be good at it. Yeah. And I've always, I've started saying things, saying to him you know everything is hard before it becomes easy and then I'm like wow I wish I had known that (laughs) when I wish I'd been acting on that and I think for me that principle around motherhood that's why it became such a car crash because having been the type of person who would never try something unless I knew I was going to be good which sounds really stupid doesn't it but that's basically how I've lived my life I've always shied away from attempting things in Mm. in case I fell I think a lot of people are like that and so motherhood for me became this big showcasing of how I wasn't very good at something because I had a terrible birth experience, which I, you know, and I totally thought I was going to be this kind of home birthing, hippie, like calm, tranquil birth. Um, and I did, well, and I wasn't. And then breastfeeding didn't work. It was crying, screaming mess on both sides. And then I just, and I was like, wow, I'm really showing the world that I'm a bit crap at something. And this has really felt, it felt really uncomfortable. I didn't consciously feel this at the time, but just looking back, I think I was so anxious about the fact that I wasn't being very good at something and I felt very judged. <clears throat> and I think that's the thing. We, it's so exposing being a mum. It's so, you're so vulnerable. You're so much more sensitive to other people's opinions, but you're also so much just generally more sensitive. It's like kind of ripping a skin off because, you know, you've had a baby. You suddenly, mm. most, it's 
important that we feel things much more deeply so that we can react and respond to our babies. But I think we see it as we twist it around societally, but probably to ourselves as suddenly becoming neurotic or suddenly becoming kind of, you know, over-emotional. And actually, we need to embrace the fact that mums, in those, particularly in those early weeks and months, we need to be emotional, that we are animals, we have instincts, we have feelings that are triggered by the kind of animalistic nature of giving birth. Yeah. Um, and because polite society and, the, you know, kind of some of the newspapers always expect the bounce back and the, you know, mm. the princess on the steps I'm looking spare. perfect, um, then we judge ourselves that we're not being that amazing, perfect um, specimen of motherhood. And that's where it all starts, I think. I reckon it probably takes you at least a year, if not longer, to bounce back. Gotcha. I think, I personally feel like there's a two-year kind of mojo reboot that if you that you naturally start to kind of... Again, everyone's different. Yeah. But I feel like, that, you know, by two years, you know, you're, you're sort of emerging back into yourself again. And then, of course, most people are trying to get pregnant or are pregnant by two years. So it's like it's the kind of, you know... And also, whatever, whatever that self is, it won't be the same as the no, self you exactly. were before you were a mum. Exactly. And I think that's quite a struggle. I mean, yeah. You talk about identity in the book, and that's something that I see so many people and something that I struggled with myself. Yeah, yeah. It's that kind of, you want to cling on to yeah. that pre-mum identity and your idea of, I'll just be exactly the same, yeah. but just have a baby. Exactly, like having a so... cat. I mean, I remember so clearly when I was pregnant with Morris, sitting in our living room, and I'm, I was trying to imagine what it would be like with a baby in the room. So I literally was sort of imagining it like a cat sitting on the sofa. Yeah. Kind of, okay, so there will be a baby here. It'll be exactly the same living room, but there will be a baby in it. And I think, you know, we're kind of sold that, that ideal that you just carry on with your social life and your work and you just have a baby with you or it's everything, nothing is affected. And again, I think we, that undermines the physiological mm. primeval change that you go through when you have a baby, that you are not... You know, I talk about it as being a kind of metamorphosis, and we do. I remember, you know, like one of the images that sounds sounds really kind of arrogant, but that I wrote that actually when I was writing it, I was like, yeah, this is so true. You <laughs> I'm, walking, so good. I'm, I'm amazing. <laughs> I'm the supermom. Is that it's like walking through a turnstile? You can't actually go back. Yes. So you kind of being becoming a mother, even though obviously there are aspects of your previous identity, your yourself, your that makes you feel you and your whole, you know being in your soul that you need to stay in touch with and you need to reconnect with you do also we need to let go and kind of grieve for that part of ourselves as well a little bit and realize that yes although like a long lost friend we need to be able to keep in touch and know that they were there we may also have to go forward and just re-find a new Mm. sort of me and also I think it's fine to embrace the new you like I I see a lot of people who have just had babies in the last kind of you know few weeks or few months really struggle with the whole kind of like I'm not going to talk talk about my baby all the time on social media or yeah um, I was listening to a podcast on the way over here and the high low podcast and one of the hosts Pandora Sykes has just had a baby about six weeks ago yeah and she's talking one of the things they do on the podcast is talk about you know think media they've been consuming in the last week so articles they've read shows they've watched podcasts they've listened to and a lot of the stuff that she's consuming at the moment is mum stuff and she's almost baby's only a few weeks six weeks so she's very apologetic about this she's like I promise you not everything's gonna be mum led and it's like that's okay because that's who you are now and that's not a bad thing yeah I think it takes a while 
to realise that though. I think you almost, I mean, I think that back to normal, soon I'll be back to normal feeling lasts forever when you're a mum, you know. Yeah. I remember meeting a friend, I think Morris was about a year old or something, and she, her baby was about six weeks old and she she was like quite kind of wide-eyed and sort of skydive ahead because she'd had a rough time with sleep and she was like, and yeah, when does it get back to normal? When can please tell me when does it get back to normal? And I was like a year on, still not really getting much sleep. And I was like, um, well, each normal is a new normal. <laughs> so, but I think that's the thing. We're constantly striving for normal. And do you know mumologist Emma Svanberg? She's yeah. amazing. And she said, you know, that the thing is we do, it's, it's built into our kind of reference framework. So, you know, is it normal that my baby doesn't sleep through the night? Is it normal that I can't put her down? Is it normal that they poo so much? You know, all these, we have this normal kind of neon lights. And so I think we're just constantly striving for things to feel like you're not like battling. Yeah. And the trouble is you just get used to and get better at the battling. Yeah. Battling is the wrong word. Juggling. Yeah. Or, you know, just um, coping. Yeah. But it is, you know, I think that that's the, the, one of the main things is trying to imagine that you carry on as life as, in, with your life as normal. It's just such a, a myth. Yeah. It's just not normal. You've got a baby. You've, everything has changed. Everything has changed. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Um, okay, Anya, I've got some quick fire questions for you. Okay. Um, I kind of know the answer to this already, I think. Oh. But um, social media lover or social media detox? I love social media. I know when I need to... I know if I if I have overwhelming feelings of ugh or self-loathing, I know that's the time I need to just put it down. Yeah, rein it in. Yeah, and and I you know yeah, so I'm getting better at recognizing when I have that initial feeling of whatever it is, some kind of clanging bell of negativity when I see someone's post. I'm like, right, okay, it's time to yeah, it's time to just get rid. And actually, then I do delete the app from my phone for a bit and do just you? yeah because I, otherwise I'm just I'm like a toddler I can't I just can't <laughs> not look at it it's out terrible. of sight out of mind yeah um, okay we've had some hot weather recently um, that that was summer and um, I hope <laughs> everyone enjoyed it um, what's your favourite kids ice cream I love a twister oh wow I didn't even know I was going to say that it's <laughs> <laughs> like gun to your head twister uh, yeah I think I think a twister is my favourite I'm quite partial to a fab oh, myself I've got a fab in the in the freezer if you want oh tempted yeah. <laughs> what's your most embarrassing parenting moment been do you know what I I think that I'm fairly unshakable in embarrassment it's things like the things I do get embarrassed by is that if Morris says something like if we're on the bus and you know someone comes in and he'll go mommy why is that woman so fat or and you're just like oh please don't say that it's really um, hard though because you other people will have heard that yeah, and, then, and then they're listening to what your response is so that kind of thing I do I do find a bit troubling but I'd, I've had a couple of boob related incidents which I haven't been embarrassed by like for example we were on the beach in Mallorca we went with all of my husband's family and my sister-in-law's boyfriend, and I was, and Freddie was 18 months old and still breast, but still completely boob obsessed. So that in itself is slightly hippy dippy, sort of. It's not really these days. No. But I was on the beach, and of course Freddie was like, "Mummy's in a bikini, boobs are here." So he was, <laughs> so he was on one boob, and I probably didn't even notice, or I clearly didn't even notice when he'd kind of gone to the other, because he used to just go from one side to the other. And I was sitting with, and <laughs> Chloe's boyfriend Matt was sitting next to me, and basically I just left my boob just, just out there just a boob hanging didn't out didn't even notice and then I was like oh, after li- I don't even know how long for is on and I went oh my god why didn't you say something and he was like oh, never mind 
do you know probably felt really awkward mortified. <laughs> and I was just and I genuinely thought it was funny rather than and that's kind of scared me that I'm no longer embarrassable because like 10 years ago I would have been like very ashamed if something like that had happened to me whereas I was like oh yeah that's great boobs. though especially on a beach yeah. though like women yeah, are exactly. walking around it's topless like anyway in, yeah. it's not like we were here that would have been yeah. slightly weird if I'd you'd been, been on my down, sofa. Down, down the yeah. cafe the pub <laughs> yeah and that happened maybe I have done similar on a flight as well though boobing ready to sleep on an all-night flight and then realizing that I just left my boob there for the whole <laughs> of the plane <laughs> yeah so that's probably slightly embarrassing I love that you're that you're not easily embarrassed that's brilliant <laughs> um, listen Anya thank you very much for being Thanks my for guest being today here. it's been so brilliant to talk to you and I feel like I have got so much out of this chat so hopefully everyone listening will have too so thank brilliant. you thanks for having me Thank you so much for listening i will link to anya's book the superman myth in the show notes so go and check it out and head over to itunes where you can subscribe and rate and review the podcast and i'll catch up with you next time hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.